Welcome. We're ready to begin. I think we're ready to begin. Oh, the sun is funny. Okay. We can't control everything. Today's class is dedicated in memory. I think we did one a few weeks ago as well. In memory of our Montague, Allah Shalom, Abraham ben Esther, by his wife Lily, his children, and his grandchildren, and even his great grandchildren. Um, I think I mentioned it then. We, I was a kid growing up. My father was the rabbi in Lawrence Avenue Yeshua in the winter, and. Um, we used to walk down Lawrence Avenue, and we lived very far from the shul, and we'd pass by Al Montague's house all the time. And I always remember my father having very intelligent and high-level conversations with Al Montague. And so uh, we're fairly close with his children and grandchildren, and we hope that Lily and the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren always see tremendous beracha and success. They've seen so much already. Inshallah, they should always continue to see beracha in their family. Amen. Okay. You know, when you look around, there are different things that different people like. That means some people like warm weather, some people like springtime, some people like the fall, some people like meat, other people like dairy, other people like a cold room, other people like a hot room. Some people like to go on vacation, some people don't. There are a few things that are practically universal. That means almost everybody wants them. One of those things is happiness. Very hard to find anybody that doesn't want happiness. Everybody wants happiness. On their level, their style, and I think we gave a class about this a few months ago, on their level, their style, everyone wants to be happy. There might be how what makes you happy might be different for a ball player to a rabbi in B'nai Barak, but ultimately, everybody wants to be happy. Tonight's cl today's class is about another such thing that I believe everybody wants. Everybody wants some of this. How it's achieved may be different for different people, but everybody wants respect. Everybody wants to feel respected. Not everybody wants all kinds of honor. Not everybody wants attention. But that's not the same thing as respect. Simple, honest, raw, dignified respect, everybody wants. And nobody likes to be disrespected. There's no one who was ever in a situation, you might have been in a situation where you didn't get a lot of attention, and you're okay, let someone else get the attention. Most people like attention, but there's some people who don't like attention. But simple respect, Everybody wants to feel respected. You've never been in a situation where you got disrespected and you said, ah, it doesn't matter to me at all. I don't mind if I'm disrespected. Everybody cares about respect. So what I'd like to focus on today is why it matters and how it's done. Because I think at times when you feel disrespected yourself or someone else feels disrespected by you, in your mind, you belittle it. Like, why do I care? Why does it matter? That's no big deal. Why does she care? Why does he care? What's the big deal? Respect. It's just not, it's not even tangible. It's nothing. Move on. Get over it. It's not that big a deal. And then how it's done. Because I believe giving proper respect requires skills. A little bit obvious. A little bit not so obvious. But very important to clearly articulate. So first, let's explain why it matters. There's an interesting Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit. The Gemara tells a story, and I'm going to try and tell you that story, that has a lot of details 
that are going to come off as strange. Even for someone who learns Gemara all the time and learns Gemara stories all the time, there's part of this story that's going to seem strange. I'm not here to explain that part of the story, how you take it, how to understand it. It's not for this class. But the story ultimately ends with a very important message. The story is about a rabbi named Choni HaMa'agal. He's the rabbi who made a circle around himself and said, I'm not leaving the circle until rain falls. One day he was reading a pasuk that says that the Jewish people were in exile. We were like dreamers. Now he says the Jewish people in that exile were there for 70 years. You, that, is it even possible to sleep and dream for 70 years, says Choni HaMa'agal? A few days later, He's walking and he sees a man planting a tree, a carob tree. Now a carob tree notoriously takes a long time to grow and even longer time to produce. So he tells the man, when's this tree going to produce, you know, carobs? That's the black, horrible stuff from Tubishvat, carobs. He says, when's this going to grow the fruit? He says, 70 years from now. He says, 70 years from now, you're going to be alive in 70 years from now? He says, probably not, but... I came to a world that was already built. That means when I was born, there were trees, there was grass, there were houses, there were bridges, there were streets, because it was already built before me. My responsibility is to build the world for the generation that follows me. And he puts the seeds into the ground. God goes behind a rock, makes a sandwich, and falls asleep. How long does he fall asleep? For a really, really, really long time. And he wakes up and he's covered by a stone so no one can see him. He wakes up, says the Gemara, and he sees someone taking fruits, carobs from the tree. So he says to the man, you're the person who planted this tree. He says, no, no, no. My grandfather planted the tree. He says, wow, I must have slept for 70 years. He then sees that the donkey made like herds and herds of children through, this, through the donkey. In other words, a lot has happened since he left. He goes to his house. And he comes into the house of Choni HaMa'agal, and he says, is Choni HaMa'agal's son still alive? They say, no, his son's not around anymore. His grandson's around. He says, hi, I am your grandpa. I'm Choni HaMa'agal. The grandson looks at him. Cross-eyed, doesn't believe him. Choni then goes to the Bet Midrash. He walks into the yeshiva and there's many, many people and rabbis learning. And as he walks in, he hears them saying that today's learning is so clear. It's as clear as the days of Choni He's like, wow, they know me. Because in the days of Choni HaMa'agal, the Gemara says every question was answered. So he goes into the yeshiva, he says, by the way, they look at him, no way. And here's our point. They don't give him the respect that he deserves. Says the Gemara, he felt bad. He prayed, and he died. He prayed to God to take his life. Amaravarava says, from this story, you know the important phrase, Hainu de Amri Inchi. This is what people mean when they say, O Chavruta, O Mituta. 
Either I have a friend or I'd rather not be alive. Simply because of why? They didn't give him the respect that he deserves. A man that the Gemara talks about for a couple of pages, tells us powerful stories, legendary stories that almost every religious Jew knows. That great legendary man that 70 years later in the Ben Midrash, they're still talking about his greatness. That man says, you don't give me the respect that I deserve. I'd rather not be alive. Why does respect matter so much? I think in the story is embedded the answer. The reason it matters so much is that we live in a world with people. Nobody here lives alone. We live in a world with people, a lot of people. Ultimately, your relevancy depends on those people. And how much you matter to those people determines how much you matter, period. How much you matter to the people around you determines how much you matter altogether. So when you get treated with respect, that's implying that you matter. And when you get treated with disrespect, your brain says to yourself, I'm not important. I'm not important to these people, which means I'm less relevant and I don't mean that much to the people around me, which are all the people I got. Because all you have are the people you know. And if the people you know don't treat you with the proper respect, you don't feel like you matter that much. That's why if you've ever been disrespected by someone who doesn't know you and shouldn't know you, has no reason to know you, doesn't hurt that much. Someone sits in your seat, like, okay, you get a little frustrated, but you get off the bus, you don't register. But when you get disrespected by your spouse, it matters a lot. Because my relevancy and how important I am depends on how you view me. And if you're basically showing me that I don't matter, that means I, you're not giving me respect. That means that I don't matter. That means I'm not important to you. It means I don't matter. And I don't want to not matter. I'm not sure if I'm saying it clearly enough. When you feel disrespected, you feel like you're not there. And you feel like you're not important. And you feel like you don't matter. That's why the slightest disrespects are a big deal. And I yesterday's thinking, and I just put down a list of like 20 examples of things that people get disrespected by that all could be considered silly. But if you understand it, what it symbolizes, it matters a lot. Should I give you some of my examples? If you don't answer my text. If you don't answer my text, that means I am not so important. That's what it means. Because if I was in point, you'd answer my text. If you don't make eye contact with me, you don't even think that I am worth you picking up your head to look at me. If I call you twice and I leave a missed call and you don't call me back, it's not about disrespect. It's about the fact that I don't matter. If you don't pay me properly, why do people care about getting paid? Partly because they need the money, but partly because they want to feel like it says you're important to the company. 
And if you don't pay me, you're basically saying I'm not important to the company. You're disrespecting me. If you don't listen to me, when I talk, you cut me off or turn away or get distracted. If you don't listen, that means if you're not spending the time to hear me, it means I don't matter that much. Because if I was someone important, you would stop and listen. At times, I feel disrespected if you don't defer to me. Because if I'm your spouse or I'm your parent or I'm your boss and you don't defer to me, again, sends the message that I'm not that important, I don't matter. For some people, if you don't stand up for me. For other people, they get insulted or hurt if you don't remember what I said. We had a conversation three days ago and you don't remember? It's not insulting. It means the implied message is that I don't matter. If you choose someone else, over me. It means that I don't rate that high. Where you place my picture. This is a true example. Last year, or two, a year and a half ago, during COVID, you know, my brother did a lot of events. One day he calls me up, he says, Joey, you don't know how much time I just spent on deciding where to place the pictures of the singers of this event. Higher, lower, bigger, smaller. He said, I spent a full day on just where to put the pictures of the singers. And I hung up the phone and I said, wow, that's so petty and so silly. And then I thought about it for a minute and I said, no, it's not so petty. And it's not so silly. Because if I'm the singer put on third, basically you're saying I am not as relevant as the main event. I'm not Yaakov Shweki. I'm somewhere over here. <laughs> it matters. And I know if I've ever been on a flyer in some speaking event, and if you put me in a way, the picture's small on the side, in some way, you're sending a message. The other person is the big show. I'm the small one. So where literally you place a picture, it's not petty. It says a lot. Literally, the, the, the singer's income can change based on the picture placement. Where, which seat you give me at the table? When your kid comes over for Shabbat and you don't care that their couple is the back of the table, and you're like, what do you care? It's the same conversation. The kids are getting up in two minutes. Anyhow, before you know it, we'll be sitting. No, no, no. You're sending a message that I am not as important as my siblings are. How often you like me on Instagram. How, whether you come or don't come to my party, it's not about whether I want to see your face. It's about whether I matter. Because if I mattered and I was a big deal, you'd be at my party. How long you stay at my party. Whether you invite me to the party to begin with. All those things decide how much I matter. How you greet me. When someone comes in and you say, hi, and then I come in and you say, hi. <laughs> and, and you feel petty that you care. No, it's not petty. That person just sent a message that you're not important and you don't matter. Literally, the wording of your sentence can dis determine how much I matter. Subtle insults can be powerful. Whether you reciprocate on something I did for you basically sends a message 
how much I matter. These are not stories of small things. These are all examples of things that determine where I stand. So if I'm looking and I'm trying to judge myself on a scale of 1 to 10, how important I am, all those little disrespects slowly put me down a notch and a notch and a notch. I don't know if you've, I'll give you one example from the rabbi world. I don't know if you've ever know this, but a rabbi can be insulted by whether you do, do or don't give him a beracha at your child's wedding. Do you know this? Now, some people think, oh, because the rabbi cares about getting honor. No, it's not. I know I shouldn't say it this way, but I promise the rabbi would stay home. It's much easier. <laughs> but, basically, whether you give a beracha or not, or whether you have him lead the wedding or not, or whether you have him speak or not, basically determines the level of our relationship. Because there's basically like 12 slots you can put me in. So I spent 10 years with you, and after 10 years, you couldn't find one out of 12 slots. That means 12 rabbis rate higher than our relationship. Not about kavod. No one cares for the honor of saying a beracha for 32 seconds. I promise you, it's not a big honor. It's a rating of how much I matter to you. That's why respect matters. In fact, we all know the story that destroyed the second Beit HaMikdash of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, and we all know it as petty hatred, Sinat Chinam, that's all true. But the real crux of the story was the man was at the party and was disrespected to ask to leave the party. And in front of all of these other rabbis, he basically decided in his head, all these people think I'm not important. I'm disrespected, I'm not in point, I don't matter, that's a big deal. Because all I've got is the people that are around me. And if I don't matter to those people, then basically, I'm nothing. That's why I care when I'm disrespected. That's why you care when you're disrespected. And that's why you appreciate it when you're respected. Not because you need kavod, not because you need honor, it's because you want to be relevant. I saw one quote in Rabbi Pinhasi Sefer, he says, I am not what I think I am. I'm not even what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. You got that? I am not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. And that's where respect determines. Based on how you respect me, that's how I perceive what you think I am. And I'm living in that world. You're living in that world. You're living in a world that's based on what you think, your friends, your family, the people that are around you, the people in your shul, the people in your community, based on what they think you are. That's the world you're living in. You're living in the world of what the people around you think of you. That's why respect is such a big deal. Oh, you care about kavod? No, it's not about kavod. You don't care about kavod. It's not that you want attention. It's not that you want honor. It's not that you want your name in lights. It's that if you don't invite me or you don't greet me properly or you don't make eye contact, you don't respond to my text, you don't stay at my party, you don't even come to my party, you don't acknowledge me, then in essence you're saying that I don't matter and that's a big deal to me. Because then I don't matter in the world I'm living in. <coughs> Let me tell you a wonderful little story 
I put it on a little video a few weeks ago on a Saturday night. These Saturday nights, sometimes the backgrounds are the same. But I don't know if anyone noticed, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you even see them, but a few weeks ago, the background was different because that Saturday night I was in Morocco, so I didn't want anyone to know, so I just took a <laughs> black wool. And over there, I told this little story that I read in a, in a Jewish newspaper that I thought was fantastic. There was a boy who was in high school, wasn't doing well, got kicked out of the high school. Now, the principal knew in this high-level yeshiva, when you kick someone out of a high school, at times the kid instantly becomes at a tremendous risk. So the boy was kicked out, and now the principal knew he's taking a risk. He has to do it to protect the school, but he's putting this kid's life and his future at a tremendous risk. He sees the boy two years later, and the boy's doing phenomenal. He's learning, he's growing great. So the principal says to the kid, like, how, you know, how are you doing so great? What happened? We got you out of the school. What happened? He says, I'll tell you why I'm doing fantastic. He said, I'm doing fantastic because my 11th grade rabbi calls me from your school, calls me every single week for the past two years. Every single week he calls me. That's why I'm doing great. He says, isn't that wonderful? The principal goes back to the rabbi and says, do you believe what impact you had? You call the boy every single week and it changed his whole life. The rabbi says, that is incredible. And you want to know why it's unbelievably incredible? Because the boy never once did he pick up the phone. <laughs> Simply the fact that he saw the rabbi's name on the caller ID every week was enough to tell the boy he matters. Now, the story is great because I can't believe also that the rabbi kept doing it. Yes. I'm going to tell you, if it's me and I call you twice and you don't answer, I'm on to the next one. I'm not spending time with you. <laughs> the rabbi called every single week and the boy either was insecure or didn't know what to say, so never answered the phone. But the knowledge that I matter to somebody, the fact that someone respects me as a person can change everything about me. Respect is a big deal, so how is it done? Here's how it's done. Everyone knows part A. I'm not sure everyone knows part B. Part A of respect, now we got someone talking. <laughs> part A of respect is to treat everyone the same. And that brings us to this week's parasha. He'asifu ve'agida lachem, says Yaakov Avinu to his sons in parasha Vayechi at the end as the parasha, this book of Bereshi is concluded. He'asifu, gather around me and let me speak to you. Everyone's around the same bed. Yehuda, Yosef, Reuven, Benjamin, everyone's around the same bed. At the end of the day, one of the important qualities of being a person who treats someone with respect means two people walk into the room. If you greet one great, you got to greet the next one great. Everyone has to be treated the same. It's true with your children. It's true with your siblings. It's true with your friends. Everyone has to be treated the same. I told you about the Berachot thing before about a rabbi's kiss. I once went to a bris that had a ton of rabbis there. So what happened is there was one older rabbi and I'm wondering, like, what are they going to do? Because there's so many rabbis. What are they going to do? Who are they giving people? Like, they're going to insult who they're not going to insult. The older rabbi got up and made all the berachot. 
In essence, no one got one, so it's not an insult because everybody's treated the same. That half of respect is the easy half. Part B is that everyone is different. Part B of respect is that you need to know the difference between him, her, her, and her. And that every person has a different expectation of respect. And I'll explain to you what I mean also from our parasha. Before Yaakov Abinu gathers all his sons, Yosef comes to visit him in Parashat Vayechi twice. Once he comes to visit him so that Yaakov can make sure that Yosef's going to have him buried in the land of Israel. And then the second time Yosef comes to visit him to make sure that his two sons, Ephraim and Asher, are blessed properly. In both times that Yosef comes to visit him, Yaakov Avinu makes a clear, distinct move of respect. The first time Yosef's coming to work out the burial process, Yaakov Avinu Yisrael bows to the head of his bed. Says Rashi, why is he bowing? Rashi quotes the Gemara Masechem Megillah that says, Tala be'idna sagidle. Even if a fox becomes a king, if it's his time, you bow to him. Yaakov Avinu is the father. Yosef is the son. But today Yosef is a king. He deserves a bow. And then Yosef comes back. I don't know how long later, but he comes back closer to the end of Yaakov Avinu's life. And now he's going to bring his two sons to get a blessing. And the Pasuk again says, Yaakov Avinu gathers himself up and sits up on the bed. Says Rashi, why is he sit up on the bed? Even though he's my son, Melech, who is a king. I'm going to give him respect. The other sons didn't get this respect. Only Yosef got this respect. Because Yosef is a king. And if Yosef is a king, Yosef has a different expectation. And giving real respect means you know the other person's expectation. Now you might say, one second, Yaakov Avinu made this mistake before. He tried to treat Yosef better than the other brothers by giving him a coat, and it caused disaster. Because at that point, the right mode of respect is everyone the same. At this point, the right mode of respect is treat him differently. Because his expectation is different. And based on his expectation, that's the respect that's expected. There's a different respect expected from your parent than from your friend. There's a different respect expected from your spouse than your friend. That might be obvious. But there could be a different respect expected from someone who's more successful than someone who's less. There's different respect expected from someone who's wealthy than someone who's not. There's different respect expected from a rabbi than someone who's not. And I know you're getting uncomfortable with this. Give me a few minutes to try and settle the plane. But you have to realize that different people have different expectations of respect. There's a Gemaraim Kitubot that says this very clearly. And the Gemara is discussing charity. The Gemara says you have to give a person according to their needs, says the Gemara, based on needs. You don't have to make someone wealthy with charity. That he's missing, says the Gemara. A wealthy person, even if someone he's used to having riding on a horse and having servants run before him, it's considered charity to give him that. And I'm sure you've heard this Gemara. It's very, very, very famous. 
And everyone takes that as a lesson on charity. To me, it's a bigger lesson on respect and expectation. That means one person not used to having servants doesn't need that charity to have servants. The other person's used to having servants. What servants? It's not someone that's helping them. It's what they're running in front of them. It's simply respect. And when they're used to that respect, proper respect means addressing their expectation. In fact, the Gemara says that Hillel had this poor man who used to be wealthy, and he got him every day, get him a horse and someone to run in front of him. One year, Hillel couldn't find anyone to run. One day, Hillel couldn't find anyone to run in front of him. So Hillel did it himself. And he ran the great Hillel as I can, ran three miles in front of this man just to give him that respect because that's his expectation. So when you're giving someone respect, you need to know what they think. Some people expect to have a special greeting. You need to give them that greeting. The Gemara says, and I don't know if this Gemara makes you comfortable, it's a Gemara Masechet Erubin, Rabbi Mechaber Ashirim, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, would give honor to wealthy people. Now I think there's nothing in the world that gets under people's skin more than seeing a rabbi give honor to a wealthy person. Am I right? Nothing that makes your skin crawl. You walk in, you get a half a hello, but someone else walks in and he's wealthy. Oh, great to see you. You can't stand it. The person you call the rabbi to come to your wedding, he has no time. The next night, a wealthy person comes to the wedding and he's there a half hour early. You can't believe it. You can't believe what you're seeing. So the truth is, you need to treat everybody the same. But the truth also is, that if a person has a different kind of expectation, if you want to treat them with respect, you have to match their expectation. So what you have to do good, you have to be good at, is knowing how to like do it in front of people, not in front of people, what people think, what they don't think, don't, don't do it overtly. But at the end of the day, there are some people that are very comfortable, and this doesn't apply to a, a woman's class, but some people are very comfortable sitting in the back of the room. And there are other people that expect to be brought to the front of the room. And you need to know who those people are, and you need to find a way to make that happen. Maybe not overtly, because that comes off as disgusting. But in some way, you need to make it happen. Some of your children expect to sit at the first seat at the table. Some of them don't care. You need to know the difference. Some people's relationship is such that if you don't come to their party for three hours, they take it as disrespect. Other people are happy just to see your face. You need, if you want to be a real person of respect, you need to know the difference. And it's delicate and it's difficult. I'll be honest with you. Again, I'm always honest. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. But I'll be honest with you. If years ago, if someone, if I came to a shul, I'd rather sit in the back. I'd rather not see anybody. Oh, Rabbi, come to the front. I'm uncomfortable. But now if I came to your shul and you left me sitting in the back, I'd be insulted. I'll be honest. Because the reality is, is that once you're a rabbi for a while and you serve the community for a while, to get treated like that becomes insulting. And in my little world, you're basically saying, I don't matter, I'm not relevant, I'm not important. How's that for honesty? But the reason why I'm honest is because you have such examples too. And you have such examples where certain people or certain circumstances where you have an expectation. And if you know people around you that have an expectation, that kind of respect 
is expected and you need to know how to give it. I know it's tricky. I know it's difficult. But you need to know how to do it. Because if you want to be a respectful person, you know the details, you know the vulnerabilities, you know how delicate people are. And if you want to be a respectful person, you need to know when everyone gets treated the same. And you need to know when some person in their mind has an expectation of being treated different. And in some cases, it's easy because everyone in the room expects that person to be treated different. When that happens, you're lucky. Like if a wealthy person walks into the room that just gave a $200,000 donation, everyone knows that person's getting extra respect. Everyone came expecting that. So it's not uncomfortable when you say, oh, it's great to see you, and you, you give them a big aliyah. But when not everyone else looks at it that way, only you do, and only he does, or only she does, and you know they do, figuring that part out is a very hard thing to do. But if you want to be respectful, you need to know A and B. You need to know everyone needs to be treated the same. And then you also need to know that everyone needs to be treated differently. But I want to tell you one more thing, a couple more things about respect. If you're a respectful person, a genuinely, really good at being a respectful person, it says a lot about you. Not about the person you're respecting. It says a lot about you. Assuming you're not some goulashy, over-the-top, kissing, uh, I don't mean that. I just mean you're genuinely respectful and know how to be respectful. My little example is another Rashi. Rashi says that Yaakov Avinu speaks to his son, Shimon Shimon and Levi are brothers. What does it mean they're brothers? Rashi says it refers back to when Yosef was sold... What Pasuk says, Vayomru Ish Elachib, one man said to his brother. And at that time, Rashi says, We don't know who's the person who said to his brother, Let's sell yourself down to Egypt. So Rashi quotes a Yalkut that does a process of elimination. Watch what they do. They said, Let's figure it out. It can't be Reuven, because Reuven ultimately didn't want to kill him. So it can't be he's the one who said, This is when they first wanted to kill him. Can't be he's the one who said, Let's kill him. Yehuda didn't want to kill him. He's the one who suggested to sell him. So it can't be Yehuda said the one that said to kill him. It can't be the ch- sons of the Shefachot, Dan and Naftali, God and Asher, because they liked Yosef a little bit because he cared about them. So it can't be they wanted to kill him. It obviously can't be Benjamin because he was his close brother. He wasn't even there. And it can't be Yisachar and Zubulun because they were too young. They would never speak ahead of their older brothers. You got it? It can't be Reuben and Yehuda, they didn't want to kill him. It can't be Dan, Naftali, God, and Asher, because they liked him. It can't be Yisachar and Zebulun, because they never speak over their older brothers. So it must have been Shimon and Levi. That were the brothers that decided, initially wanted to kill Yosef. I have a question on Rashi. Your reason for Yehuda and Reuben was because they did not want to kill him, we're clear. Your reason for Yisachar and Zebulun is because they would never speak ahead of their older brothers. Why don't you use that reason for Dan, Naftali, and God, and Asher? Say, they also wouldn't speak ahead of their older brothers. You use it for the other ones, they would never speak ahead of their older brothers. Why can't you use it for the sons of Shefachot, that maybe they also would never speak ahead of their older brothers? I think the answer is this. That the sons of Le'ah were too classy, too dignified, too respectful 
to speak ahead of the older brothers. But the sons of Shephachot, the children of maids, I don't know if respect would be enough reason for them not to speak up. Because they don't have the same class. They don't have the same dignity. They don't have the same kind of mother. They don't come from a family where respect is as embedded as it is with the sons of Rachel and Leah. So maybe that can't be the reason for those sons. The reality is, when you respect me, it says a lot to me about me, but it also says a lot to me about you. What kind of home you have? What kind of family you were raised in? What kind of parents, grandparents, and sometimes even great-grandparents you have? How respectful you are doesn't just make the people around you matter and feel important. It also makes the people around you know that you have class, that you have dignity, that I know for sure there's no way that the sons of Rachel and would speak ahead of their older brother. But I don't know for sure that the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah that were maids would not speak ahead of the older brother. Maybe they would because they don't come from the same class and the same dignity. And you know this about people around you. There are certain people that are always refined and you know they would never do that. They would never disrespect you. You get a disrespectful text from them and you're like, there's no way they meant it. There's no way that's what they said. They're way too refined to be that way. And there's other people that you're not surprised. Because you know their style, you know their background, you know their course, you know they're obnoxious, you know they're rough. You know it. So just know this. When you're respectful to others, you're making them feel important. But you're also making them know that you're important. And there's another point that needs to be known about respect. And that is, the more you respect someone, the more you're creating a person that you can benefit from. Let me try and explain this. Yaakov Avinu bows to his son. And I quoted this to you before. He bowed to his son and then he stood up on the bed and Rashi in both places says that he was trying to give respect to his son. But Rashi says it differently in each place. In one place he says, even though he's my son, I'm going to stand up for him. In the other place he says, a fox in his time, I need to respect. If a fox in his time, I have to treat him with respect. You got you to bow to him. What was he saying? The first time, the fox in his time, you need to bow to him. What was he saying that time? The answer is that time, he was asking Yosef to bury him properly in Eretz Yisrael. He needed a lot out of Yosef. If he was going to get that lot out of Yosef, he needed Yosef to know his importance. Because if Yosef feels important, you're the king, you're the man, your father even looks at you as the king, then it'll be much easier for you to deliver in the future. See, when you treat people with respect, you build them up, they become stronger. They become more powerful. They become more capable. They become more able. They become more willing. They become more confident. And then they could take care of you so much more in the future. I am not going to ask you to raise your hand in this question, but I think this example will make my point very clear. If you have a husband who disrespects you, it's very difficult to serve that person. Because you talk to me that way. You 
put me down, you embarrass me, you treat me low, you don't say thank you, you don't acknowledge me, now tomorrow you want a good dinner, I don't have the uwe, I don't have the energy to do that. I don't care anymore. I don't feel like it anymore. I'm not up for it anymore. So when you disrespect someone around you again and again and again and again and again, you minimize them. So that when you need them, they're no longer that person anymore. And there are wives, many of them, and sometimes there are husbands, many of them, who are a shell of their former self, 10, 15 years into marriage, because they were so disrespected again and again and again that they don't have any energy. I'll bet you there's someone in this room, I hope there's no one in this room, but I'll bet you there's someone in this room or someone who's listening online who looks at pictures of themselves when they were young and when they were single. And they're like, wow, I used to be strong. I used to be pretty. I used to be handsome. I used to be capable. I used to be funny. I used to be, I used to be talented. And what happened is over years, they were beat down, chipped away and chipped away and chipped away and chipped away that they're a shell of themselves today. If you treat someone around you with disrespect, be it a spouse, be it a friend, be it an employee, or be it a child, don't have high expectations from them in six months from now. Because you basically made them matter less. And so now they matter less. And now in their mind, they're lesser people. There was a rabbi. How much more time do I have? Three more minutes? Four more minutes is good? Two hours. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, good. You'll give me a limit. Half hour. I see how much I matter to you. Good. So, I'm joking. The rabbi, yeah, I'll give you three more minutes. There's a Gemara Masech where the rabbi says, a rabbi asked Rav Chizda a question. Rav Chizda said, serve me first, and then I'll answer you. And the other rabbi folded a handkerchief for him and served him. And then Rav Chizda answered the question. So the commentator is like, serve me? What are you asking for honor? Asking for respect? The answer is that if you serve me, you build me up, then I'll be ready and capable to serve you back. I'll be ready and capable to deliver. But if you make me small and all you do is shrink me, there's going to be nothing left when you need me. Let me give you another real example that's personal I probably shouldn't share. So my youngest son report card came in a few days ago. And we're not doing a great job with our youngest. <laughs> so every one of my kids have different things on the side, different grades. But they're usually great on the whole, you know, that whole conduct story <laughs> on that side of the page. My son opens up his report card, he's seven. He turns to my wife, he says, Mommy, what does NI stand for? <laughs> it stands for needs improvement. Okay. There's a lot of them, huh? So now I tell my wife, tell him what it is. So she tells him needs improvement and the homework needs improvement and focus needs improvement. Okay, good. Now I'm looking at this kid who just got five needs improvements. He got a bunch of satisfactories or goods, but he got a bunch of needs improvements. So I said, one second, that kid can't get up from the couch now with all this in his head. So I'm trying to think fast. I sit down and I say, Moch, you see that 
and eye. You see what the eye, what does it look like? It's like an eye with like a line and a line at the bottom. I said, doesn't it look like a one? He says, yeah. I said, N, it stands for number one. <laughs> That's what they're saying, number one. In this category, you're going to be number one. Number one. You're going to be number one. And I go through each one. I said, in each category, one day soon, next report, you're going to be number one. He got off the couch with a different energy. Because if you minimize them, they minimize themselves. If you build people up, they build themselves up. I think that respect is underappreciated. Because most people try to make it seem like it's petty that you care or petty that they care. Care about respect, care about insulting. So you, you don't have any confidence, you just care about that person. But the reality is I live in a world that I need to matter in. We all live in a world that we need to matter in. And if you give someone respect, you make them matter. You make them relevant. You make them important. They can deliver more. But you need to be skilled at this. You can't be raw. You can't be young. You need to be smart and experienced. And if you're smart and experienced, you'll know that everything we read on that list isn't insignificant. It doesn't, it's not doesn't matter whether you're invited, not invited, where you stand on the picture. Those things don't matter. They do matter. They do matter. Because they tell a person how important they are and how much they can deliver for others. Yaakov Avinu, by the end of his life, knew how to respect Yosef differently and at the same time, how to respect all his sons the same. But maybe he sent one last message because he blesses Ephraim and Menashe. And from the beginning, it says he blessed Ephraim and Menashe to be like, like a tribe, like Reuven and Shimon. And then he does a blessing of Hamalach HaGoel and he switches the hands and puts the right hand on the youngest son Ephraim and the left hand on the oldest son Menashe. And Yosef tries to change it, but Yaakov keeps it that way. And then Yaakov finally gives another beracha. And he says that the Jewish people should bless their children. The Jewish people should bless their children to be like Ephraim and Menashe. And then the Basuk says, and Ephraim went ahead of Menashe. We, but wait, the whole time Ephraim was ahead of Menashe. What are you saying here right now? I believe he's saying something very powerful. There's a lot of explanations of why he chose Ephraim and Menashe. They existed in Galut. They, exi they succeeded in exile. But I think there's one explanation based on all that we said that maybe flips it on its head but is a powerful point to conclude with. The beauty of Ephraim and Asher is here is Yaakov Avinu giving the younger son more respect than the older. And through the whole interaction, the older son seems fine. If you can be a person that doesn't care that much about respect, that's powerful. If you don't rate yourself by every greeting, by every invite, by where you're placed on the picture, if you don't rate yourself by exactly how you place and how they say your name and where they put your seat, if you could be above all those things, now that's power. 
Because the reality of life is, is it's impossible for everyone around us to be perfect at this game. And it's impossible for them not to see us wrong sometime, or give the wrong berachah, greet it the wrong way, or not say the right hello, or not send the invite, or come for the amount of time we expect. It's impossible for them to listen as much, always call back, respond to the text. It's impossible for them to deliver every single time. So I don't blame you for caring. I told you, I care too. I don't blame you for caring how you're treated. And I don't blame you for caring about receiving respect, not honor and glory and attention, but respect. I don't blame you for caring about receiving respect. But I know that if you could not care, like Menashe, now you're strong and now you're powerful because then you decide who you are. No one else around you dictates. Who makes you? Thank you. Thank you.